Welcome to Screen People. At the beginning of each episode, we will dedicate the show to one particular charity that has been chosen by our guest. This week, our first episode is dedicated to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Marsha P. Johnson was a black trans woman who was one of the people who started the riot at Stonewall. The Institute was created to elevate, support, and nourish the voices of black trans people. To learn more, visit MarshaP.org. And now the episode. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here today with our special guest, Casey. Just to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. I am 31, a self-proclaimed fangirl, grew up in the middle of nowhere and have only slightly strayed from there. And uh, let's see. Yeah. Self-proclaimed fangirl of all the, you know, the big things, Marvel, all of, I I love musical theater. I love boy bands. Boy (laughs) bands are a big one. (laughs) Listen, you know, they were my first love and they're still my my main love. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, We will learn during this podcast about her love of boy bands. (laughs) I had to learn all about them against my will in order to prepare for this. What did you go to school for? Um, I went to school uh, for arts management with an emphasis in music because at one point I was convinced that I was going to be a band manager because I was highly inspired by Brian Schechter, who was the band manager of My Chemical Romance for the majority of their uh, original run as a band. I'm clearly not doing that now. (laughs) And oddly enough, neither is Brian Schechter. He's a stuntman now. Because that's what you do after you manage a boy band. Have you hit your stunt person portion of your life yet okay so i have made some weird purchases during quarantine one is a bow staff and the other is a set of escrima sticks can you tell us what an escrima stick is they're basically like nunchucks but without the chain attack like holding them together and they're a little bit longer um Mm. so if you ever see like agents of shield um agent may uses those a lot and that was also part of the inspiration for me getting them i was like i'm gonna come out of this quarantine like agent may i have not i have barely managed phil colson Moving on. Gullah Gullah. <laughs> I love Gullah Gullah Island. Yes. Gullah Gullah Island was a kid's show yep. that played on Nick Jr. from 1994 yep. till 1998. And that was just after I was watching kids shows. See, that was like peak Nick Jr. age for me. It was uh, Ron and Natalie Days. Real life couple. And it was the first show to star an African-American family set in an indigenously black yep. community. Gullah slash Geechee, depending on what you're reading, descendants of slaves from Central and West Africa, brought to the Sea Islands on the coast of South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida, eventually developed their own culture, and Ron is a descendant of those people. He grew up on St. Helena Island. And see, that's the thing, is like, I I loved it as a kid, and then later, I think it had to have been like sometime in probably college, like we got to talking about like shows that we had watched as a kid, and I was like, there was this show, there was this show, and I like started looking up like old Nick Jr. shows, and that one came up, and then I started like looking more into it, and I'm just like... This show was like kind of not revolutionary, but it was a big thing, you know, for its time. And I didn't even realize it. I just thought it was fun and that they were, you know, funny and I liked the music. And I'm like, that's kind of awesome to go back and realize later on that you were watching something that was the first of its kind. Winnie the Pooh you brought up. The animated series, of course. Why Winnie the Pooh? Why does that come to mind? 
So that is another one that I legitimately don't know when it started. There are like baby pictures of me with like a, a stuffed Winnie the Pooh that allegedly I would not let go of for the world. And so it was just one of those things that like whenever it was time to watch cartoons, that was the one I wanted to watch. And I think it was just, it's one of those ones that it, it has a very home, homey feeling to it. It is very comforting. It's very, you know, whereas like Gullah Gullah was very bright and colorful and energetic. Winnie the Pooh was that show that you could watch it when you're about to take a nap. It wasn't anything like bright and, you know, energizing, anything like that. It was just very like, okay, we're, everything's okay. The most that's going to happen is Winnie the Pooh loses his honey. He's going to find it by the end. So let's go to Casey the Teen Years. She mentioned that her teen years were predominantly banned documentaries. Two in particular. Uh, I know one was Life on the Murder Scene, uh, which is the My Chemical Romance documentary. And I think I mentioned Bullet in the Bible by Green Day. Bullet in the Bible. That was in November of 2005. When were you listening to this? When were you watching this? That would have been sophomore year of high school. Yeah. And it was the first, because um, American Idiot had come out the... Two years prior? One year prior, huh? Or year prior. 2004. Prior. And that was the the first time that I had really listened to music that had like a, a political message to it. I had heard songs like Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, things like that, but I, they hadn't really stuck with me. It was interesting to me to see, you know, these adults be able to explain how I was feeling so succinctly when, you know, at 13, 14 years old, I could barely string two sentences together when I felt that upset. Less than a year later, four months later, Another band documentary comes out. And so for our listeners, please tell us about your relationship with My Chemical Romance. They are my absolute 100% favorite band on the planet. They will always be my favorite band on the planet. They were my first concert. I went to see them as a high school graduation present with my uncle. I got him into them. So that is now our like main talking point because they're, they're back now. They went on a hiatus for a little bit. They're back now. So we're constantly updating each other. But yeah, I remember leaving school early to get it. Um, just because it never gets put away. It is always like, it is one of my go-to like comfort movies. Like if I'm having a bad day, I will watch that. By the way, because I'm a terrible podcaster, the uh, life on the murder scene was the other band documentary that I neglected to mention at the start of this. Go on. That there are no surprises. There are no, I know, you know, like where the ups and downs and everything like that is going to, are going to come in. And oddly enough, it kind of ties back to Green Day because at the same time that Green Day was putting out American Idiot and, um, specifically the song Wake Me Up When September Ends, they had done a music video that was based around the war in Iraq. Um, and at the same time, My Chemical Romance was coming out with a video for their song Ghost of You, um, which is set in uh, World War II. And they were on tour together at the time. And Gerard Way at one point tells a story about how he was so worried that Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day was going to be mad because their videos were too similar. And Billy Joe Armstrong is basically like, no, I'm, I'm proud of you for making a statement. You're talking about something that is important right now go you i'm I, i'm completely proud of you and so that is another case of rebel casey being galvanized i guess the marvel universe yes <laughs> we're gonna be here for a while because i have a lot of thoughts 
No, no, no. We're, we're only going to go brief. We're going to go brief because th- this could be 72 other episodes. Yep. In fact, when you brought up the Marvel Universe, you said a movie for every mood. Now, let's be clear. There are 23 movies in the Infinity Saga from 2008 to 2019. 23 movies. A movie for every mood. Explain that to me. It is one of those things where, depending on what you are in the mood for, movie-wise, there is a Marvel movie that, if it, it even if that is not the entire mood of the movie, there is enough of it to where you will have that craving satisfied. You know, if you're, like, wanting something that is superhero, but he's in love, you've got Thor the Dark World. If you want just weird kind of buddy cop space comedy, you've got Thor Ragnarok. If you want the great... I'm going to throw down a gauntlet here. The the greatest origin story ever. You've got Iron Man 1. I'm sorry. It's the best movie in the whole Infinity Saga. Don't at me. Um, Don't worry. Nobody's listening. <laughs> it's the first episode. Nobody's listening. They may eventually. And they may come at fair. you later yeah, on. That's fair. Be like, you lie. You're wrong. I I stand by it. Did you start? Like, were you immediately drawn when Iron Man came out in 2008? I remember I watched Iron Man on TV once and was like, oh, that's actually good. Okay. And I think I watched Thor and like at first wasn't like super impressed with it. But by the time the Avengers came out and I saw that they were actually making, you know, they were building a universe around it. I was like, well, let me give this a try. And I went and saw the Avengers movie and I remember I saw it four times four or five times and that was when I was like okay I I get what they're doing they're not just you know that was when you finally kind of saw that they were building something it wasn't just a we're making this Iron Man movie and this Thor movie you know they were you you saw the interconnectedness of it all yeah it was a really ambitious plan that they came up with don't feel bad I loved Robert Downey Jr but when I first heard that he was doing Iron Man my initial reaction was why <laughs> like that's the most boring character to ever who wants to be Iron Man <laughs> and then and then I saw it and I mean I agree I agree it changed my mind yeah. he he changed my mind the whole show. and that's the thing now you couldn't think of anybody else playing Iron Man so I have to ask you about this yeah. I don't mean to play the race card. (laughs) However, I I genuinely want to know, Mm -hmm. as a Marvel fan, hardcore super fan, 10 years later, 10 years, 18 films later, a little unknown movie called Black Panther comes out. Yep, I am. I'm repping Wakanda with my shirt. You're literally wearing a Black Panther shirt. (laughs) That is so freaking hilarious. I didn't even see that. Um, she's wearing a Black Panther shirt. What was Black Panther for you? Amazing, first of all. It was interesting for me because I'm born in America, you know, grown up here my entire life. I don't, I can't trace my, my ancestry back to what part of Africa they, you know, my ancestors may have been from. But seeing Wakanda and seeing all of the different aspects in the different tribes and in the, the clothing that they wore and in the music and in just seeing all of that, I was like, okay, but this is my people. They may not be specifically where my ancestors are from, but there is something in me that automatically 
directly connected with it and just felt validated and and seen and especially reading uh later on reading interviews with ryan coogler the director and i think her name is ruth carter that did the costumes and just seeing the kind of love and attention to detail and making sure that they did represent all of the different parts of africa and taking into account the diaspora of africans across the world and making sure that as much of it as possible was represented that was huge to me it is interesting kind of now looking at it because I, I don't remember what interview it was, but Ryan Coogler basically said he felt like he had to nail it. There was no half-assing it because if he didn't nail it, there was not going to be a Black Panther 2. There was not going to be a, you know, I mean, at that point, Luke Cage was already on Netflix, but you know, basically he had to do it right. Otherwise the door was going to be shut for any movies led by a Black superhero. Now looking at it kind of feeds into that narrative of Black people and people of color as a whole having to be twice is good to get half of the acclaim. And don't get me wrong, that is not to take away from Black Panther as a movie because it is absolutely phenomenal and it's breathtaking, but it's like, you think about it and it's like, you've got the main superhero who has the powers that were given to him as a birthright and that he fought to keep, and he's got a genius sister, and they've got the most valuable medal in the world, and they've got war rhinos and all this, you know, it's like, all Tony Stark had to do was show up and be smart, you know? All Captain America had to do was show up and be buff and, you know, a shield. Looking at it from that aspect, I'm like, I still love it, but then it automatically just puts this like kind of heaviness to it. I remember seeing and reading articles about the attendance of that movie. I remember driving past the theater and older African Americans. I remember one guy, he was either in a cane or he was in a walker and they were going to see Black Panther. And I remember this article and they interviewed people who were going to see it. And a lot of these people, like, they never went to the movies. But this was different. This was something that you didn't see. And they were going to see it. And they didn't care if it was a superhero. They didn't care what it was. They were going to go watch it. The theater experience of seeing Black Panther, I feel like, made it worth the wait alone. Like, the movie could have been whatever, but the experience of being in a theater with just that many, like that was, I went to um, Regal to see it opening night. And that was, I have to say the most, like the largest amount of black people I had ever seen in a Regal theater before. And it was just like instant camaraderie and instant like kinship. Like there were people who came in in dashikis. There were people who came in in like full formal African attire. There were people, you know, just like it was a, a celebration. And it was just, it was, that was probably one of the best movie going experiences I've ever had because it was just all of us just enjoying this. Like, like the first time you saw Wakanda, there were cheers. The first time you saw like the, the, um, it's the scene where T'Challa and Nakia are walking through the, the, uh, marketplace and you saw all the different you know, uh, kente cloth, and you saw the different, you know, stalls with people selling jewelry and everything like that, there were cheers. It was just seeing yourself represented in something that means that much to you. It meant a lot to me just as an individual, but then having that experience amplified by however many people were in that theater was just mind-blowing. When I was reading about the Marvel Universe, I was very curious because I knew that this movie had been a big deal. And for those who, who don't know, um, it was the first Marvel movie to be nominated for a Best Picture Academy Award. P.S. A lot of people thought it should have won. Some of us still do. 
it best costume design, best original score, best production design. It was actually written by two African-American men, the first African-American Marvel director, if I'm not mistaken. And on top of that, just to sprinkle it on, Rachel Morrison, cinematographer, first woman ever nominated in cinematography, not for that one, but for the year before, for Mudblood. That was one of the things where I was like, I I went into the movie, like, I'm not going to lie, slightly expecting to be disappointed because, you know, it is the case of a lot of minority groups where even if something promises to have representation, you kind of expect it to be like breadcrumbs. You do not expect to be overwhelmed with representation you're gonna get the the crumbs of oh well there was a gay character in star wars she kissed her girlfriend in a two second scene that we had to cut out when we showed it in china but she was there there was a gay person in star wars you know that's the kind of representation you're used to so i was you know even knowing that black panther was a majority black cast even knowing that it had angela bassett who is a legend you know even you know knowing you know what chadwick boseman was kind of bringing to the table as black panther from seeing him in civil war you know i still was not really expecting a lot and so to go into that movie and walk out just like to go in expecting breadcrumbs and then to be just given a a feast was a just overwhelming experience that is also i think on the list of things that if i could experience it again for the first time that would be on the list You know, I don't actually have an end to the podcast, but I want to make one up. So my last question, I think, would be this. What would you like to see next? And that doesn't need to be something that's actually happening. That could be something that you'd like to see, period. Honestly, the thing that I would like to see is literally something that will not happen unless I write it. I would love to see a story similar to mine get told. I am black and adopted into an all-white family, and that is not something I've ever seen depicted on screen, and that comes with a lot of interesting moments in terms of especially things like now with the current Black Lives Matter movement. It is a very interesting thing to have to explain things like Black Lives Matter to people who who I've known my entire life and who I sort of expect to automatically understand my experience, but who just can't because of just the sheer fact that our skin colors make our life experiences different. And so seeing something like that, and I mean, not even necessarily like specifically my story, but seeing more stories of, you know, I feel like the only adoption stories you get on TV or in movies are like, oh, I was adopted and now I'm secretly a witch and, you know, all this stuff. Or it's like, I'm adopted and I'm going to find my birth family, but oh wait, they've already got another kid. You know, like you get things like that but you don't get like just the real like I'm adopted and it makes life kind of awkward sometimes you know as much as I love Marvel and I love superheroes I'm ready to see more stories about real people or at least about real life um and I mean even with superhero stories one of my favorites is Iron Man 3 because you see him outside of the suit for a good 85% of the movie you're seeing the person so I would love to see superhero movies take a turn towards focusing on the person not the hero which I mean in a lot of cases the person is what makes the hero but you know I I want real human stories whether that is the human side of superheroes whether that is just taking real people's stories and putting them on screen I'm ready to see real people reflected and real life situations thank you so much for doing this no problem thank you for having me this was fun that was the <laughs> podcast experience yeah you've been screen peopled is that the is that the tagline no i hope not that sounds very threatening <laughs> <laughs> 
Sounds like you've been probed by aliens. Yeah, yeah, it does. You just got screen peopled. I think I need a lawyer. Yeah, they, they, they took me onto their podcast and they probed me. You've been peopled.